Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we're going to take a trip around the world today as we talk to our senior international correspondents about what is happening in the U.K., in the E.U., in China. Uh, We also touch a little bit, I think, on Africa. So let's uh, get to it. But before we jump into our correspondence, I have to talk with Lou and find out what's going on in the news. And last week and next week, a lot of great things happening on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, how are you doing up in New Jersey today? Well, let's uh, set the record straight. You don't really have to talk to me. Uh, But I'm here, so you may as well. (laughs) I'd love to talk to you. Come on. Oh, great, great. Uh, actually, we're we're uh, beginning to prepare for our mini hurricane, which is about 250 miles offshore, but I think we're going to wind up getting some of it, uh, at least in uh, heavy rain. Uh, and uh, just as a comment, uh, my heart, your heart, we're, all of us are feeling very sorry for the things that have gone on down in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, and the Keys. And by the way, I did cancel my vacation for next week uh, to Mark. Key West for obvious reasons. Of course, my wife wanted to go anyway because the hotel is great. However, uh, the rest of the Keys is one great big dirt pile. So uh, we're not going there. So moving on uh, to our show today, uh, the postscript. Uh, last week, we had a very interesting uh, individual by the name of Sean Osborne, and the show was uh, very cleverly named Cell Door to Shop Floor. Uh, that was a great, great title, Tim, uh, and it's a very, very inspirational uh, individual who made uh, certain decisions about his life and decided to, uh, when he got out of jail, that he wanted to Uh, get involved in uh, manufacturing, and he was fortunate enough to get a manufacturing company to give him a break. Uh, He paid his uh, debt to society, uh, paid for his uh, education, uh, vocational training education, and is now a uh, manager on the floor in a manufacturing company, a company by the name of Wagner Machine in Norton, Ohio. So our hats go off to you, Wagner Machine. Great story. It's a good listen. Uh, Now to our couple of news items that uh, we have for you. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, Last week, uh, we were at WIM, Women in Manufacturing's annual conference in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, We had uh, spoken with Allison Grealis, who's the president and founder of the organization, uh, between September 13th and 15th, and uh, that was their seventh annual. There was about 600 uh, women, uh, some of the, the greatest and most uh, passionate and uh, intellectual women who have made the career choice of being in manufacturing, and it was uh, really a, a great, inspiring uh, event. Uh, we did uh, interview eight of, eight of these uh, uh, individuals, and we Actually, this afternoon, we will have all eight of the 
uh, interviews up on uh, MTR, uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com. Great, great stuff. Um, Continuing, we also uh, had uh, one of the guests was uh, Tracy Ariel, Director of Advanced Manufacturing in Connecticut State College's system. Uh, And she talked about because I asked a question about how much is the government helping local communities, local states in getting young people interested in manufacturing uh, because college may not be the the right career path for individuals uh, and also to dispel some of the negative, uh, dark, dirty, and uh, dangerous uh, concept of what manufacturing is all about. Uh, Aria was terrific. She works with the state. Uh, the state of Connecticut uh, spent $20 million in setting up a training program. And uh, the first year is such a success that the U.S. government uh, contributed another $15 million. So I'm glad to see the government is beginning to bone up and contribute to uh, local communities to help fulfill the problems with uh, skill gaps and uh, the, the number of retirees in this country uh, is still at 10,000 people a day, uh, which is obviously huge. Uh, she was, uh, you know, really terrific in telling us the whole story of what and how she's been involved with the state and the feds. And uh, it's just great. This type of situation actually is beginning to happen all over the country. And uh, matter of fact, in LaPorte County, Michigan, which is uh, um, Michigan City area, they set up a an event bringing in 12, 13, 14-year-old kids to show them exhibits of what manufacturing is today and get them to... Uh, understand uh that it's not it's not dangerous it's not it's not a lot of things but it is a lot of other things and uh that was really terrific uh one of the things that uh, i experienced at uh whim uh with american crane company who has been actually an advertiser on manufacturing talk radio they had set up a crane operator training center at the WIM event, and I had the uh, the benefit of wearing these uh, virtual 3D goggles, and they trained me to operate a 50-ton crane uh, using joysticks and uh, lifting up uh, cargo and boxes and so on and so forth. Of course, I'm so good at that kind of stuff. There was a huge pile of boxes all piled on whether to be shipped out, and well, that pile of boxes didn't quite make it. I did knock them over and had to start all over <laughs> picking them up with this virtual uh, 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 virtual uh, program. And it was really quite incredible. Uh, actually, I think that uh, our engineer uh, filmed it. I haven't seen it yet myself. Uh, it'll probably be on our website. So if you want to take a look at that, it's worth seeing me make a fool of myself. Anyhow, moving on. Next item. It seems as though that uh, 
Jay Timmons, president of uh, NA uh, of NAM NAM, uh, has uh, uh, reached out to the president and uh, the United States and has recommended that Trump, President Trump, uh, withdraw Scott Garrett's name as the leader of XM Bank. And in turn, there were also three other new nominations made. And it looks like we're finally going to get XM Bank up and running, which is going to be certainly helpful to not only big corporations like Boeing and General Electric, which they, it's a misnomer that it only helps a bit large corporations. That's actually not true. Uh, it's 40, 40% uh, large corporations, 60% small corporations. And uh, hopefully uh, Scott Garrett will be dumped soon and that XM Bank will be fully operational. That's going to help everybody in manufacturing who has anything to do with exporting their products. So that's uh, that's a piece of good news. General Electric has uh, just contributed $10 billion to renewable energy uh, for the largest onshore wind turbine. Uh, they're really dumping a lot of money into this, uh, and uh, this is going to mean lots of jobs. And moving forward... We also have um, the Fed Bank of New York uh, claims that the a pace of growth in for factories in the New York region is still very very busy. Thirty six thousand jobs were added in August, twenty six thousand in July, twenty one thousand in June, and this is just manufacturing jobs. So that's uh, all pleasant surprise, and everybody's thrilled. It seems as though that the negative effects of the Great Recession of 2008 is finally beginning to wear off. Uh, that said, we also have um, Boeing and Tr- Triumph joined in a partnership to create hundreds of jobs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They've partnered Uh, in a project that is going to bring uh, lots of jobs to um, that area, approximately 950 direct and indirect jobs. So everything is smelling pretty good, uh, Tim. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to uh, be here with you uh, broadcasting this type of information. I mean, we started Manufacturing Talk Radio four years ago in 2013, which was really still in the heart of the Great Recession. So we've seen it, uh, Sisyphus pushing the ball up the hill and uh, becoming successful at uh, improving manufacturing and our economy in in totality. So that being said, why don't you uh, introduce our, our guest and let's get this ball rolling uphill. Yeah. Yes, uh, hopefully we'll get to a, a flat spot so Sisyphus can just move the ball forward without having to put us much effort into putting it I don't, I don't it think out. that ever happened. I don't, I don't think, think that it happened. does either. <laughs> no, I think that when he got to the top, the ball automatically rolled back down to the bottom. That's and then the he deal. Had a, yeah, yeah. So, be my guest. 
So we have got Royce Lowe joining us uh, in a moment here, and followed by Chung Wang. Uh, Royce reports on the UK and the EU. Chung Wang reports on China and Asia. And Norbert Orr, who follows all the purchasing managers' indices. There are a series of 18 reports he follows for countries around the world and several regional ones. Wraps up the show also with a wrap-up on what's happening in Houston and the impact of that area. So let's get to our senior international correspondents. Uh, Royce Lowe is up first. We are here with Royce Lowe, who is our senior international correspondent for the EU and the UK. Always enjoy talking to my friend from France who has a interesting point of view because he gets to see it from his side of the pond when we see it probably differently from our side of the pond only because our media reports it quite differently. So we're always <laughs> grateful to have Royce kind of straighten us out. Royce, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. I, uh, Atlanta, has weathered, uh, Irma, Atlanta has weathered Irma well, so uh, we're in good shape down here to talk to you over there. How are things in... Uh, well, you know, pick a pick a uh, a spot, either the UK or the EU. In terms of manufacturing, is it still going well? Still going strong? It's still going strong in uh, in 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 both Europe and uh, and to date uh, in uh, in the UK. Um, the uh, the the figures uh, basically say it all. Uh, you know, the, the PMI that we look at on a monthly basis. Uh, which is back up to 57.4 in August, um, from uh, from 56.6, and and growth in in European manufacturing. In fact, it's it's stayed among uh, it's, it's in strongest figures that they uh, that that have been seen since 2011. Uh, this is particularly strong in the uh, in Austria, Netherlands, and Germany. Uh, where we see uh, PMIs from 59 to 61, and uh, we get an improving rates in uh, in Italy, uh, Ireland, and France, where we're seeing PMIs from 55.8 to 56.3. Um, Spain's a little bit uh, off this month, but that's that's sort of unusual in light of what's happened recently. Uh, exports, backlogs, employments, everything is everything is up. Even uh, even Greece is uh, is up at 52, and uh, in fact, it's higher than it's been for nine years. So that, oh my uh, God. that, wow. basically, that basically tells you. Mind you, what they what they make in Greece, I'm not you know I'm not terribly sure what they make in Greece, but uh, obviously, uh, I mean, probably a lot of uh, fruit and wine and that sort of thing, uh, food uh, particularly. Uh, and of course, they have a they have a pretty strong tourist industry, but uh, they're not very big in money, 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 manufacturing as such. But uh, the the whole scene in in Europe uh, regarding manufacturing at the moment is is good. The, the, there are some there are some little glitches on the on the horizon. Of course, I mean the, the manufacturing is not the whole thing. And if if we look, for example, at Unemployment rates in uh, in in some cases. I mean, the the, the average for the for the EU is 9.8. You know, which when you compare that to the US and the UK, uh, it's, it's sort of double and, and, and then some. 
Uh, and this has been particularly, you know, a particular problem in uh, over the last few years in uh, in Spain, for example, uh, and Italy, uh, and and Greece. I mean, Greece has been uh, Greece is still over twenty percent. Um, Spain is is come back down to to seventeen percent. Italy's uh, sort of been stuck, just over eleven percent. Now, Spain was at, up at uh, a couple of years ago, as I remember, it was at 24-25%. And, uh, you know, the, the question is why, uh, okay, things are getting better, and uh, what has Spain done particularly? Uh, what's happened in Spain? Uh, why is it so much better? Because it's, it's sort of growing. It's, it's been growing for the last three years at something like 3% per annum which is good uh, uh, in any context. And uh, effectively, um, a few years ago, for example, at the beginning of the, uh, beginning of the century, the, um, Spain's economy was powered by construction. Everybody was building a, you know, building a home in Spain. Uh, everybody wanted to go live there. Um, they did discover later on, uh, as a matter of fact, that, uh, that there were laws in Spain which meant that if you if you built if you built a house on on a piece of land that, that eventually became an autoroute, you'd have to pay for the part of the autoroute to be <laughs> to be constructed. Oh my God. Uh, that was that was that was going through your home. Yeah, that, that that was apparently a fact. I suppose it was in this small, small, small print, but. Um, uh, in in those days, uh, Spain, um, uh, the, the construction industry represented about 20% of Spain's uh, GDP. Um, now it's 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 powered more by by exports. For example, we got 33% uh, of the GDP is accounted for by exports. Uh, Spain is is continental Europe's uh, second biggest car producer and exporter. For example, uh, after Germany. Uh, then it's got other exports, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, and uh, professional services. Now, I think what's what's happened, uh, and uh, and this is a this is a problem not some, not just in Spain. It's a problem in Italy. It's a problem in it's a problem in France. France has, has a a very high unemployment rate. Relatively, it's 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 the European average. It's just under ten percent. And uh, one of, one of the problems is that. Um, if you if you hire somebody, for example, the the, the unions uh, effectively the unions negotiate with the government, uh, and uh, if uh, the unions negotiate the point that it's going to be hellish tough to fire somebody once you've hired them. Uh, so in 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 some cases, in 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 the case of Spain and in the case of Italy and the case of France. Uh, uh, people just do not want to uh, to be fired, and so hence people say the, the employers say, okay, if you don't want to be fired, we're not going to hire you. Uh, by the same token, <laughs> uh, particularly in uh, particularly in France, uh, the uh, productivity is very high. The productivity is higher than it is in say in the UK, and it's I think it's higher than it's quite a bit higher than it is in the US. Uh, even though uh, the U.S. and the U.K. have low unemployment rates, so the unemployment rate and the productivity uh, just don't go together in this case. 
So it is a, it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting uh, scenario. In fact, in, uh, in Spain, uh, they, they've cut the uh, severance pay from 45 days to 33 days per year worked. Um, and in fact, in the past, companies were closing because they couldn't afford to, to lay off workers. In other words, they couldn't afford the severance pay. So that was a sort of, uh, it's a bit of a catch-22 in a way, but, um, uh, and Spain have, Spain have also uh, devolved the, uh, the way that the, the, uh, the bargaining, uh, they've, they've devolved wage bargaining to a, to a firm level, to a company level. In other words, the, uh, the, the, company, the company negotiates with the union rather than the government negotiating with the union. So this is good for uh -huh. individual companies. It, it, it helps with their competitiveness. And this is what, uh, this is what Macron wants to do in, um, in, uh, in France. In, in Italy, uh, well, the GDP didn't fall as far as Spain's uh, in, the, in the last crisis, but its unemployment rate... Uh, didn't go as high either, but um, they're actually uh, the recovery is actually has been quite weak uh, since the crisis. Uh, growth's been about one percent a year, and uh, unemployment is is sort of hasn't moved down or up. It's it's sort of stagnant at around eleven percent. Uh, this doesn't mean to say everything's perfect in the garden. Uh, the, I mean the youth unemployment in uh, in uh, uh, Spain and Italy and Greece is just uh, unbelievable. It's like between 35 and 44 percent. But um, things are things are getting better in those countries. Uh, and of course, in, in Italy, you've got this <laughs> you've got this famous black economy that nobody knows anything about anyway. So we don't know how how this is affecting the figures. But grosso modo, uh, overall, the um, the uh, the situation in um, in, in the eurozone is uh, is is good. It's uh, it's 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 it's, it's up there right at the moment. Um, in the UK, uh, they had a good um, they had a good uh, month in August for uh, manufacturing. They had a four month high of uh, fifty six point nine on the PMI. Um, and uh, they had good export figures. But, uh, some of this is due to uh, the, the weakness of, uh, of sterling, uh, and of course some of it's due to the fact that they're saying that the, the markets uh, are better, the markets in the U.S. and China and Australia, for example, are better. But of course, as we know, uh, the last figures told us on the, on the global economy, that the, the, the global economy, the global figure for the PMI was the highest it's been in years and years. So the global economy for manufacturing overall is good. So obviously if you have something to sell, you have a better chance of selling it than you did, for example, a year ago. <clears throat> the, big, uh, the big thing uh, that uh, we notice in the UK is the, um, the auto sales, the automobile sales, have been on, have been on a downslide for the last um, five months. And... Um, it's um, here again. Uh, everybody's saying that you know, they, that it's something to do with Brexit. It probably is. Uh, they're actually bringing in a um, what they call a scrappage scheme, uh, which they which they used in they used this in Spain uh, about a year and a, a year and a bit ago, 
Uh, in other words, if you have a car, if, if you want a new car, but you can't afford uh, a new car, uh, they, will, they will give you a couple of thousand quid, a couple of thousand dollars, a couple of thousand euros, whatever, to, uh, for, for your old car, which will help you to, uh, to bring, uh, to, to uh, help the auto industry. Um, interesting thing is regarding cars is that the, uh, since the big uh, scandal over um, over uh, Volkswagen a couple of years ago, and the fact that everybody's talking about going away from the internal combustion engine, which is obviously going to take a long time, but people are buying fewer diesel cars in Europe. Um, German German uh, car sales, for, for for example, for August were at, a, at an eight-year high. Uh, but in there, you had a 14% drop in uh, in diesel sales uh, to uh, just under 40% of the total share. 38% of the total share was was diesels. Uh, the the uh, sales of gas gasoline powered cars were up 15% to almost 60%, and th- that happened in Germany. Happening, I'm sure it's happening across Europe. And it, uh, the diesel sales in the UK were down over 20%. So there is a, there is a move in that respect uh, towards uh, or away from, should I say, uh, diesel uh, towards something possibly unknown. But uh, um, if we look at uh, Europe, and if particularly if we look at uh, Asia, which we're not looking at here, but uh, the, the sales of electric cars are up too. So... That's uh, that's encouraging, I think, for some. Um, well, Royce, let me let me ask you this about uh, used cars. You mentioned scrappage and the fact mm-hmm. that, and I'm and I'm just want to get some clarity on who gives the new buyer the couple of thousand quid or whatever they're getting. Uh, is that not commonplace? It's very commonplace here in the U.S. Is it not commonplace it's, uh, in the well, EU? Well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not what you call a trade. Uh, uh, I don't think it's what you call a trade-in. Um, I know they uh-huh. had it in Spain last year, and I think it's the uh, it, it's the government that backs this. Ah, okay. I think, huh, interesting. I think it's the government that backs it, yeah. They're, they're in there somewhere, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for, sh- for sure, yeah. Well, you've mentioned uh, unemployment uh, and the numbers in obviously the EU to us would be quite staggering, although uh, the unemployment number that we use in the United States, which we hear in the news, and we're saying we're at 4.7%, is uh, a fudged number. It's a narrow yeah, it's about definition. about half what it actually is, isn't it? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, uh, yeah. The people who are truly unemployed, um, including everyone looking for a job and everyone that's fallen out of looking for a job, is really closer to 9.1%. Right. So we're not that far off, but we just don't report that because it doesn't sound very good. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's um, – I mean, it – I have to I have to wonder sometimes how a country like Spain, for example, can 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 operate with a, with a 17 percent unemployment rate. I mean, I, the, the bottom line is, of course, that somebody's uh, somebody's got to pay for this. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, right. Yeah, 
Well, I'm surprised to hear some of those numbers that high. I don't know what number the government was reporting back in the 1930s when the U.S. went through the Great Depression. My understanding was that unemployment here was 25%. I don't know if that meant that was our famous U3 number and the real number was 50%, yeah. but yeah. 25% to us would be a shocking number, and it sounds like some parts of Europe, some countries are are bumping into that, the, you know, the high teens, the low 20s. That's, uh, well, if, if, if you stuff, look, for example, yeah. at uh, the, the, the big... Uh, the, the country, the industrial country with the mo- with the highest unemployment rate is South Africa, and uh, that's running just below 28%. Uh, by the same token, you've got the Czech Republic uh, that's running at 2.9. Uh, you've got Switzerland at 3.2. Of course, you've got Japan at 2.8. Um, the uh, the Brits are 4.4, exactly the same as the U.S., uh, and uh, China's at four, Japan 2.8, as I just mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, one has to wonder some sometimes uh, how how these countries uh, how they do it. But, uh, but but we know that the in the final analysis we know that the uh, the population suffers uh, from from this. Oh yes, clearly has to, clearly has to. And you're right, somebody has to pay for it. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's always the taxpayer that has to pay yeah. for it. So right. you know, we understand uh, where the unemployment – well, some of us understand where the unemployment money comes yeah. from. I still hear people say, well, let the government pay for it. Like, well, yeah. uh, don't I, you pay taxes? Yeah, you? <laughs> absolutely. I just confirmed, by the way, that uh, the, the initial scrappage scheme um, for cars was – that there was one in the U.K., in 2009, and it cost the government uh, 300 million pounds. So Ooh. that would be at the time about 400 and four, 500 million dollars. <clears throat> so yeah. <laughs> ah. So they were Anything stimulating to make the wheels of industry and... go around, eh? And <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking of the wheels of industry. Um, uh, we, we can't mention, we, we can't really speak uh, about um, Europe or the UK without speaking a little bit about Brexit anyway. And um, uh, right at the moment, um, uh, the Prime Minister of Britain uh, is is on the verge of asking the European Union to let Britain keep access to its uh, single market and its customs union for a period after Brexit to help the com- to help companies to adjust. Now, this is basically uh, this sounds to me a little bit like panic. Uh, the, the whole idea, of course, is that Britain leave the EU, and if they leave the EU, uh, they, they've, they've got to leave uh, either, either one or the other single market or customs union uh, for a period after Brexit, and. Uh, they basically they're asking they're asking companies and and by companies I mean I'm talking Toyota you know they're not just any company Toyota and Toyota are looking for the for the UK government to clarify what exactly they they mean what what exactly they 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 want the companies 
for want of a better expression, to do. And uh, Toyota is saying, uh, well, we're not going to postpone a new product for three more years just because you're still negotiating uh, Brexit. Because you're, you're, so, For example, it's quite possible that, that it take another three years to get an agreement of some kind uh, on this thing. Uh, because they're not they're not negotiating as quickly as they should. They're not they're not getting nobody's getting the answers that they should. Uh, Britain is not um, is not effectively it's not doing what it should do. Uh, it's it, it knows that it's it's up against odds of tw there are 27 countries effectively negotiating against it. And uh, yeah, right. Toyota say, sorry. That's right. They do have. 20-plus countries negotiating against it. Exactly. And uh, tw and uh, Toyota's saying it's it's clear that if they have to wait two or three more years uh, before, they, before the whole thing is clarified, uh, there'll be a big question mark about future investment in the United Kingdom. And, uh, and there are, even though there are, obviously, that there are people for and against what's, what's going on. And uh, there are people saying, oh, it's going to be great. You know, we, we don't care whether we don't have the, whether we're not in the single market of this and that. We're British. We can, you know, we can get through it sort of thing. Uh, but of course, the, 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 the bottom line is that people are making plans to, uh, to move out. Uh, even, even banks and uh, professional services, financial services, uh, and of course, there's people uh, in Dublin and people in Frankfurt and people in Paris are waiting for them with open arms. And uh, in fact, it's it's already happening to some extent that uh, that people are moving out. So uh, it's it's uh, it's an ongoing thing, Tim, as you know. And uh, we'll you know we'll we'll report to any major uh, advances <laughs> as they come up. But at the moment, there's really there aren't there aren't really uh, really any advances to report. It's 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 all negotiation, and there's there's nothing really that that clear. Uh, the, the bottom the, the, another bottom line is that they're um, they, they're ha they're going to have to um, transfer twelve thousand four hundred twenty-two pieces of uh, European Union law onto the British statute book. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Well. Yeah, they're, they're hoping to they're hoping to as they say cut and paste them and and then um, play around with them afterwards, but uh I think that's uh, dreaming colors too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. sure it is. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of this unfortunately had it come out before the vote may have opened people's eyes to the fact that it's not quite so easy to get out no. after you've gotten in because yeah. you just get so intertwined. And, of course, everyone's concerned about their uh, their citizens in the EU that are now right. in the U.K., and that's a very big yeah. issue over there. And yeah. you're right, it's going to be very messy, and, and as we've talked about many times on this show, Manufacturers and all companies, but manufacturers in particular, do not like uncertainty. No. So no. they may very well say, we're not going to invest in the U.K. because the mm -hmm. U.K. can't really tell us what's going to happen over the next 10 years. And that's about what a manufacturer looks at. 
yeah. in investment five ten years out, not you know next month and somebody gets a wild hair and decides to uh, have a vote on something. Yeah. Well, I think if they, uh, I think if they'd have come out and told the people um, what was going to happen, uh, and, and they told the manufacturers, and everybody would have been. Uh, aware of what might happen, uh, I don't think the vote would have gone through. <laughs> because I don't because think, I don't think that, either. you know, they, they mention the word manufacturers to the people that voted, and uh, they would say, what's that? Um, it's all about immigration. And uh, in the final right. analysis, that's what it was about. But uh, uh, as we know, it, uh, its effects spread much, much further than that. Yeah. Yes, clearly so. Well, Roy, thank you very much for a thank you very much for a very thorough update on what's happening uh, in the EU and the UK. We certainly appreciate your point of view, and thank you for bringing it to the table. It's been a pleasure. Have a good rest of the and day, we'll talk, Thank you, Royce, and we'll talk to Royce Lowe again next month when we do our global report. This is part of that overall segment, but we've been speaking with Royce Lowe, who is our senior international correspondent in the EU and the UK. He happens to live in France and has a great point of view and a great handle on what's happening over there, particularly in manufacturing and the economy in general. We'll be right back after this. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. We're here with Chung Wang, who is our senior international correspondent who covers the Far East, what we know as the Far East, uh, speaking from Atlanta, China, Japan, uh, the Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, all of those areas. But he's not going to cover all those areas. The big areas will cover China and Singapore, and uh, we'll get into what he's got to report this morning. Chung, how are you today? Good morning, Tim. It's good to be back. Thank you. I'm doing well. Good, good. Uh, I'd like you to share with our listeners what's happening in China in terms of their PMI and GDP. Certainly, certainly. The um, the quarterly GDP numbers are not out yet. We will get those by next month. Um, the PMI numbers are out, however. The, uh, the Taishin General Manufacturing PMI rose by 0.5 points last month. Uh, this is the highest, second highest reading of this year so far. It was also the third consecutive month in expansion territory. Among the sub-indicators, the output index dropped slightly, but new orders continued growing, and both costs and output prices rose further, with output prices rising a bit further than costs. So uh, the output, output prices actually hit an eight-month high last month. Um, inventories of finished goods dropped, and stockpiles of procured goods uh, expanded. The overall operating conditions of the manufacturing sector improved as market demand strengthens, but because prices rose too quickly, the profitability of companies in the middle of the supply chain is under much pressure. 
Well, Chung, on that uh, topic, I would like to talk to you about the steel industry from our perspective over here. And, and mm-hmm. our people who are selling steel in competition with China are probably going, yay. It seems that the steel industry is being driven almost by pure speculation in China. What is happening there? Well, uh, partially by speculation, but um, and mostly due to the uh, repeated environmental inspections. Um, for example, uh, China this year already had several rounds of environmental inspections, which these inspection teams came from the central government and they move around the country without prior notification and they suddenly show up, inspect, and if they find any problems, they'll close the company down for uh, reform. And, for example, in the last round of inspections, uh, 56 just in the Beijing area, uh, which includes Tianjin and, and Hebei province. This is not a very large area. 56,000 companies were blacklisted as polluters and closed down temporarily, while some of them will never reopen. So that, uh, coupled with uh, the, the decrease in supply, and the demand has to go somewhere. So the companies that are still producing steel uh, are selling them for higher and higher prices. This price hike, however, this by this last month, we are seeing a new trend, a, a new possibly a turning point, uh, because traditionally by this month of September, by this month, we should see a large wave of the uh, of market demand. However, this year we're not seeing the large wave of high demand that uh, that was expected. And people believe the reason is that in the market there is uh, the some of the demand that that was in the market was actually due to speculation. And the Chinese government is not only cracking down on the environment, but also they are pushing for steel companies to deleverage. So steel companies will have a tough time borrowing money or, or getting uh, leveraging their uh, assets uh, in the coming in the coming months. So um, that may have some effect in curbing speculation. And um, also, at at one point last month, the spot steel prices even showed a slight decrease. So, uh, and also average ore prices uh, decreased slightly. So we believe we are seeing the first um, signs that the hike, the mad hike of steel prices will probably uh, slow down and uh, return to a more uh, reasonable market pricing. Well, that's going to be interesting because their prices certainly have walked up uh, over the past 12 to 15, maybe 18 months. And uh, I know that the steel producers and the people who are doing steel work here are rather thrilled about it because they have been competing very heavily against China and trying to uh, beat them on price, which is very difficult to do or has been yes. difficult to do, certainly less difficult to do now. Um, yes. What is happening uh, and also in terms due to, uh, of... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. No, I was saying also due to the, um, the U.S. government's uh, policies of import, uh, import tariffs and such. So that also gives a competitive advantage, of course. Now, have there actually been, other than on hot rolled steel, any tariffs by the U.S. government? Uh, some steel products as well. There's, um, okay. 
a limited range of some products and some also some oh. machinery is also uh, yeah there's a tariff on machinery on on piping on uh, uh, some car components as well okay you know we hear so much about what's happening in North Korea in terms of their misbehavior and of course we're saber rattling uh, on this side of the pond what's happening on China's side of the pond how concerned are they that this uh, rogue nation will do something crazy. Uh, China government, from what I can see, is quite concerned. Is very concerned because this rogue nation, in the past month, have sent three times. They've sent missiles into the air once, not so successfully, but the other two times it flew over Japan, uh, and uh, is a very dangerous. Uh, could easily turn into a very hostile situation. Uh, can easily turn into a situation of war if one of those missiles malfunctioned and fell on Japan or hit some something it wasn't supposed to hit. Um, so the Chinese government is very worried because economic growth is the center of uh, governmental policies, uh, especially mm-hmm. currently during the reforms, industrial reforms, when... Um, uh, various rounds of environmental inspections and closing down massive amounts of companies and laying off workers. Uh, it is a difficult time for transitioning in China, and they don't want any problems on their um, from their neighboring country. Uh, however, this is a, a difficult time to to navigate, and the clout that Chinese government actually has over North Korea is somewhat, seems to be somewhat limited. Um, What I have seen and heard is that uh, the UN sanctions are being imposed. Uh, Some border uh, crossings are being closed. The, especially the the trade, uh, some of the um, North Korean produced textiles, seafood, uh, and those goods could not get into China, well, not legally anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And they have sent uh, more border control uh, agents to the border to enforce these um, these controls. What's happening with but Taiwan? I, I know that ta- Taiwan wants to stand alone as its own country, and China still sees it as a province. Uh, has that heated up? We don't hear much on that anymore. Uh, not much. I haven't heard much on that either. It's, it's always been a talking point um, for some politicians in Taiwan and politicians on the uh, PR China side. Uh, however, internationally, uh, the country of China is recognized as one country, uh, although Taiwan is a separate entity but not a separate country. So, um, but both, both these countries have the same culture, the same language, the same written language. Uh, the only difference is the political system. So um, I think the, the, the PR, China's retired leader now, now already gone, uh, Mr. Deng Xiaoping, had a, had a good idea, is that um, uh, when you have uh, nations that has different ideals, uh, you may not want to settle them right now. If you want to settle all disputes, immediately may lead to conflict. Instead, why don't we put aside the disputes and work on what we can agree on? And that's basically been the the main theme of the China 
Taiwan relationship from ah. 1990s till now. So mostly working on what people do agree on, for example, trade, uh, tourism, um, manufacturing, um, but uh, putting aside the differences, mostly political differences. Yes, our own Congress would do well to do the same thing. That would be a wise move to work on what they can agree on because they disagree on too much too uh, vociferously to uh, make any headway in those areas. But back to Asia, um, a couple other areas uh-huh. over there, yes. South Korea and Singapore. How are South Korea and Singapore doing? Uh, South Korea is, is, is in some... A political tor- turmoil currently. They they have elected their new president. He is new in the office. He wants to con- con- complete a lot of reforms uh, to show that he is different from the previous president, who is now seemingly proven to be corrupt. Um, one of the things that he is fighting, besides North Korea, one of the things that he has to deal with is that South Korean economy has always been controlled by these large conglomerate. Uh, economy, its company groups uh, such as Samsung, Hyundai, uh, and such. Um, the top five of these groups actually make up more than half of the market value in the Korean stock stock index. So uh-huh. um, these these groups enjoy special treatment in the country. Some of their and these groups are owned by by families that um, that dominate the the economy by. So the, the core family members could be considered even above the law. We have heard of uh, stories that some family members, the core family members of these founding families, were convicted of, of crime, some uh, very hideous crime possibly, um, and uh, later was given a presidential pardon. Now, this seems to be standard practice in the past, but this current president is vowing never to do that. He's not going to give a presidential pardon. And recently, Samsung's uh, heir and de facto uh, manager was um, given a five-year sentence for uh, bribery. So um, people are looking to see this as a, as a game changer, see if the government will push the sentence through and... Uh, well, we will continue to keep an eye on all of those countries over there and watch how that uh, may impact U.S. manufacturing. Chung, thank you for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Always nice to have Chung Wang with us, who's our senior national correspondent, who, who uh, is kind enough to stay up quite late at night to get this report to us. It's a 12-hour time difference, or 11 hours, depending on whether we have a daylight savings time going on here in the U.S. So we always appreciate his presence, and we'll be right back with more of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Hey, guys, are you bothered by rising transportation costs? Do you worry that your vendors and suppliers are also in the transport brokerage business? Do you sometimes wonder if you've got the right amount of product and supply available to serve your customers and get the job done? Well, if any of this is on your mind, I've got the free resource for you. It's called Inbound Logistics, and it reveals the ways companies just like yours took control of inbound product flow, rationalized transport costs, reduced inventory requirements and touches, all without dinging customer service. Go to InboundLogistics.com, look for the free subscription link, and sign up today. This message was sponsored by Manufacturing Talk Radio and All Metals and Forge Group. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, 
stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Or he is our senior international correspondent who is also with Strategus Research Partners, a great organization where Norbert follows 18 purchasing managers index surveys that are from countries around the world, as well as several here in the U.S. that are regional surveys. Always has great information for us and some in-depth information for us. So, Norbert, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. Pleasure. So, you know, pick a country, start where you want. Uh, I'm kind of curious what's happening in Asia at the moment. The rest of the world seems kind of rosy, but how's uh, Asia, China, Japan, those folks doing? Well, Asia is participating in in what is uh, really a a global uh, phenomenon right now in terms of the amount of growth that's taking place. Uh, If we take China, for example, the China surveys, the CFLP survey, uh, which is the official China survey, uh, came in at 51.4%. that may not seem like now remember anything above 50 is growing so 51.4 is uh, about a three percent growth rate month over month uh, which uh, isn't uh, isn't that bad uh, you also have the Kai Shin survey which is uh, features more multinationals it's at 51.6 uh, those numbers uh, only appear strong by comparison uh, for instance, uh, a 51.6 for the Kai Shen. If we go back a, a, a year, we get a, a, an average of uh, uh, 50.9. Uh, so uh, it's significantly better than what we've, we have been seeing out of China. It would indicate that possibly the growth rate that they've talked about for uh, the manufacturing sector of 6% growth in, in uh, overall GDP. Uh, it may mean that they're seeing some movement in that. So uh, then we look at Japan, and uh, Japan is at 52.2. Again, Japan has been on a run that uh, uh, has allowed it to grow at a rate of uh, about 52 uh, for the last year, which is uh, compared to previous years is significantly better. Uh, India is the same thing. In India had a, kind of a, a, an occurrence last month in that the PMI dropped to 47.9, uh, but India had instituted a new sales tax uh, th- that month, and I, I think it caused things to slow down, but uh, it has bounced back to 51.2. Uh, so the, the Asian... Uh, Major, uh, certainly, uh, let's see, where did South Korea go? South Korea is uh, still not growing. Uh, that's been a chronic mm. issue, and now with all the political issues involving South Korea, it's going to be hard for them to uh, to get back uh, above the 50 mark. Uh, frankly, uh, the, the uh, numbers for the last year – uh, probably come out in the, in the range of uh, 49. Uh, so uh, basically it's been the South Korean economy has not been growing. Uh, it has not been in a major decline either. Uh, so uh, uh, 
but South Korea is the weak link in uh, in the Asian chain right now. Uh, compared What's to, keeping to uh, South others. Korea stuck, Norbert? Uh, the biggest issue is uh, uh, South Korea is highly dependent upon uh, durable goods, uh, and it's also highly uh, 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 susceptible to uh, what's happening with big companies, the Samsungs and the Toshibas and, and so on. And if those companies are are doing well, then South Korea does well. If those companies are slow, uh, which is the case right now, then South Korea, um, there's not an offset in enough small business. Uh, they're, they're really focused on, on large businesses. So okay. uh, Asia overall, uh, Tim, uh, looks good, uh, looks to be able to continue at, uh, at or better than the current rates. And so uh, uh, we're encouraged that uh, that part of the world. I don't One of the numbers I really like is Taiwan. And uh, ta- Taiwan came in at 58.8. And uh, mm. you could ask, why are they so much better than the others? Uh, one is they've been a democracy for 60 years. And secondly, they have a huge commitment to semiconductors. And when the semiconductor industry, with everything we, everything we buy and sell today, has a chip in it, semiconductor industry has done well for the last year or so. If we do a 12-month review on uh, uh, on Asia, we, I mean on Taiwan, they average 58. So it's consistent wow. with what they've seen. Uh, strong growth uh, is it's the place to be in uh, in Asia, and uh, uh, we could probably even throw Australia into that group. Uh, uh, and uh, Australia came in at 59.8 this past month. That's way above the 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 twelve month average which is um fifty six point nine so mm. uh even Australia is seeing uh, a good bit of economic activity so good information. Uh, before we before we yeah very good news before we get done uh, in all this discussion. I'm going to be curious as to how long uh, numbers like that can last. I know that prior to you being with Strategus, you were with the Institute for Supply Management, and I don't know if our listeners might recall that, but uh, uh, Norbert Orr put out the uh, report on manufacturing for the Institute of Supply Management for many years before Brad Holcomb took over, and then Tim Fiore. So he knows of what he speaks. Uh, let's, and I don't know if we've ever asked you, do you follow a PMI for, for Russia or the, what used to be the Eastern Bloc countries at all? Uh, don't, find, uh, don't, don't find much interest in that. Uh, I, really? I try to focus on, on what, uh, what manufacturers would be interested in, and uh, in general there's no interest from the manufacturing sector in what's happening in Russia uh, to speak of. It's a petroleum uh, and energy-based economy, basically, uh, so there, there's not a lot of uh, uh, a lot of lot that we can learn from the Russians about uh, uh, capitalism. Uh, uh, that's just not uh, not what's going on in the country. So it, it re- just don't really find the interest in it. 
Huh. Curious. Interesting. Uh, how about the uh, EU? How are things going now, over there? The, 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 the EU, things are, 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 have been looking up for quite some time. Um, we follow eight countries, uh, which comprises uh, the Eurozone Index. So they have their individual index that they publish, and then uh, the Eurozone is a combination of the eight of those. Uh, this past month, uh, the Eurozone Index, uh, or the eight countries, matched uh, two months ago the June Index at 574 and that's the highest that we've seen in quite some time coming out of Europe. Uh, the leadership of that index really is uh, uh, begins with Germany. Germany's a huge exporter and is, uh, has an, an export-driven economy. Uh, Netherlands uh, has held up quite well. They came in at 59.7 this month. Uh, Austria has held up well. Austria came in at 61.1, which is a 78-month high for Austria. Uh, then uh, in the middle of, of the responses for the Eurozone, Italy, Spain, France, Ireland, sometimes Ireland's among the higher, uh, but they, they kind of uh, uh, form a solid base in the middle. Then it's always interesting to see what Greece does. Um, Greece has actually been growing for three consecutive months, uh, and that's the first time in years that uh, that that's been the case. Uh, so <clears throat> there is a little bit of recovery. Uh, the other issue is there's not that much manufacturing in Greece anyway. But uh, Greece came in at 52.2 uh, and was the slowest growing of all of the Eurozone countries. So uh, uh, holding up remarkably well. Uh, I think after you talk about the Eurozone, you, you need to always go to the U.K. And mm -hmm. the U.K. index uh, came in at 56.9. And it has been consistently uh, strong ever since Brexit. So we've yet to see anything that we would contribute to uh, attribute to Bre Brexit as a problem uh, because uh, the numbers coming out of the UK have been uh, consistently good and look to, to be the case. I, I personally think the UK will come out of this extraordinarily well that uh, they'll have one of the most efficient economies uh, in uh, in that part of the world, or for any part of the world, for that matter. So, uh, I think uh, I think they made it, uh, economically, at least politically. Uh, you know, I'll leave that to others. But economically, I think uh, you could say it's been very successful as far as the UK is concerned. Now, you mentioned that Germany has an export-based economy. Uh, I guess because they do such fabulous manufacturing over there, I would have thought that they uh, would have more of a domestic-based economy. Um, what is it that they are exporting? Uh, well, you're right. It's uh, uh, machine tools, uh, machine tools particularly for the auto industry uh, globally. Uh, the uh, uh, machine tools that are necessary for any type of manufacturing. They have a, a, a product that uh, that's there. Uh, 
they're known for the quality and have been excellent at it for many years. So uh, they rely on that. And they, they made the commitment that they wanted to be an export, uh, that their their prosperity was going to be dependent upon uh, being able to export uh, uh, as opposed to depending on uh, domestic consumption uh, because that's uh, uh, that's just never been the the main driver for uh, eco- for the economy in Germany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Norbert, is there any interest from manufacturing as to what's happening in South Africa? I know that I'm sorry, in Africa. I know that they're looking at Africa as a labor pool. That may be the next uh, inexpensive labor pool. Um, but is there much? In Africa, where manufacturing is taking place, seems like they have enormous potential, but not much is happening. Uh, they have just never been able to um, uh, to attract the capital investment. You know, uh, there's been a lot of aid from developed countries that's gone into Africa, uh, and uh, sorry to say, probably more of that is lost to uh, corruption than. Mm-hmm. Uh, than, than what's available for investment to be able to do that. You know, the the thing that's really coming out in all of this, the debate about uh, tax rates in the United States, for instance, and tax rates around the world, um, is it takes capital investment in order to grow an economy. If you're not investing anything, it, uh, just as, you know, at the micro level of, of a business, a business is investing in uh, in things that make it grow. If uh, if business if sales are better, then the probability they might uh, grow and add an additional shift uh, becomes uh, much more likely. If uh, if they're not seeing the the growth, uh, then uh, we're not going to see the additional shift. We're not going to see additional equipment. We're not going to see modernization of equipment. So. Uh, capital investment is, is what it's all about, and uh, uh, invested capital in Africa has always been at great risk. And mm, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that, that's the deterrent, uh, is the corruption, the inefficiency, and the risk uh, involved in it. Right. How about the Middle East? Uh, that is another area that we don't normally report on. I'm just curious if much is going on in the Middle East in the way of manufacturing. Um, you, you know, if it depends on how you define the Middle East. If you include Israel <laughs> as as part of it, then there's tremendous manufacturing. There's tremendous technology. Um, uh, there's a huge uh, thirst for capital and and well-invested capital and companies that do extraordinarily well make uh, extremely good products from doing that. Uh, the the balance of the Middle East there, there's probably more there than uh, than we sometimes give credit. Uh, the, the UAE uh, has some degree of manufacturing. Uh, you know, uh, of course, all, all of these have food. Uh, and uh, as a, a base, that uh, an industry that that uh, uh, continues to, to to develop and grow in terms of, of what's going on in the Middle East, but there's certainly a, a lot of room for investment. Uh, uh, a number of years ago, uh, 
Tom Friedman of the New York Times uh, wrote, had a book called The Lexus and the Olive Tree. And he talked about half of the world was looking to to figure out how they could buy a Lexus, and the other half was trying <laughs> to figure out where to plant their olive tree. And uh, certainly the Middle East is much closer to uh, the olive tree than it is the Lexus. I'll be darned. Well, let's shift over to the United States. What uh, what stands out to you in the U.S. in terms of both strength and uh, then we do definitely want to talk about any information that you have on Houston. Okay. Uh, first of all, in, in the U.S., it was another good month in terms of manufacturing. Uh, we uh, hit 58.8, and that's the highest we've seen since April of 2011 when we hit 59. Uh, so very strong report on manufacturing, uh, every part of it. Uh, I, I was uh, looking at the data this morning and thinking in terms of uh, the, the uh, post 9/11, uh, the economy was in, uh, in in a very weak state when 9/11 uh, hit. Uh, it was a, a, a difficult. Uh, devastating event that was made worse by the fact that the economy was not very strong at that time. Now we've had a couple of uh, hurricanes hit the economy, hit the the U.S., and it's much stronger and much more capable of withstanding uh, that and will bounce back faster, I think, because of it. Uh, It'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see what the numbers are this month, but uh, if we go back for 12 months, uh, we find that uh, we've been averaging 55.4. So 58.8 for manufacturing is a very strong reading. Uh, uh, I think there were 14 out of 18 industries reporting growth in, uh, in U.S. manufacturing. Um, the, the concern that I have and have expressed before, Tim, uh, is primarily with regard to non-manufacturing. If we look at non-manufacturing over the same 12-month period, uh, what we find is um, it has averaged 56.1.2. Uh, this month it was down to 55.3. Last month it was 53.9. So uh, it has fallen off trend for uh, for this year and. Uh, the the non-manufacturing sector, it's not as productive as manufacturing, it's not as efficient as manufacturing. And typically it needs to grow at about two points faster than manufacturing for that segment to be really, really strong. So uh, we got to keep our eye on the services sector, what's going on there, uh, and what what conditions might improve that? Uh, certainly, with the, the hurricanes, and, uh, there's going to be a need for certain services that are uh, uh, going to flourish during this period of time. Whether that would raise the whole index for the for all of uh, the U.S. Uh, is probably another issue. Okay. Um... How about and Houston, let me, let me, which is taken? If I can, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Before we get into Houston, let, let me, if I can, 
Uh, let me touch on uh, Canada. Uh, look well, look good as far as North America is down from 55.5 to 54, but still doing quite well. Mexico uh, was up uh, a little bit to 52.2 from 51.2, uh, but Mexico has been hovering around 50. Uh, so their economy is not uh, uh, in keeping with the either Canada or the U.S. Uh, so they're they're struggling with that uh, with their economy and, and lack of growth. It's partly energy-based, and uh, with the weakness in energy, that certainly accounts for, for some of what we see there. Uh, the, the other thing I'd like to mention is um, uh, Dallas uh, came in at 54.8. Uh, that came in before uh, anything came out of uh, uh, data-wise that does not include any data from pre-Harvey uh, period. Uh, Chicago continued to report a strong uh, economy uh, at 58.9. Um, the um, uh, who else am I leaving out? Uh, well, the J.P. Morgan Global PMI came in at 53.1. So, uh, no matter how we we cut it, manufacturing is doing well globally. Non-manufacturing is is okay, but not as strong as I think it needs to be to to uh, really sustain uh, the services sector going forward. Oh, uh, we have um, the uh, state of uh, uh, Washington survey uh, that fell off, uh, and they tend to uh, well recovered. I'm sorry. Uh, Recovered from 46.7 to 58.8, and uh, it's highly dependent upon what goes on with the major aircraft sales and so on. Uh, manufacturing in mm -hmm. the Northwest is keyed uh, to all of that. Uh, and the Philadelphia survey came in, I mean, I'm sorry, the Empire survey came in this morning at 60.5 for manufacturing. That's a survey that the Fed does for New York uh, and New Jersey. Uh, so that was looking up significantly. Now we wow, can talk that's about a big Houston. Number. Yeah, yeah, a strong uh, number. Um, and before we jump to Houston, I always want to touch on two subjects because there's some uh, political turmoil on both. One is NAFTA as it affects Canada, and one is NAFTA and the wall as it affects Mexico. I know we're renegotiating NAFTA. I don't know where it will end up. I don't think anybody knows where it will end up. What do you think is happening in Canada in terms of NAFTA being on the ropes, if you will? Um, I, I think, uh, first of all, I, I, I totally agree with the administration on the need to renegotiate NAFTA. Uh, any trade deal that's put in place for 20 years and not touched for 20 years, uh, somebody has to be a winner and somebody has to be a loser uh, because there's no way that the, who, whoever put that deal together could put something in, in with the, the history that we have over the last 20 years could put something together. So, uh, And the fact that the uh, Canadians and the Mexicans have not been squealing about NAFTA tells me that uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're the ones that were not getting the, the good deal out of that. Uh, I, uh, I'm glad to see the, the thought process. 
Uh, and ultimately, the administration takes very firm positions on these things and then ultimately works backward and says, okay, now we got to make sure that uh, that everybody uh, everybody has a win coming out of this. We're all politicians. We all uh, need to cater to our uh, uh, population and so on. Um so we really need to, to do this. Uh, I, I don't have much uh, concern. T- Canada will come out fine. Canada is such a direct extension uh, of the U.S., uh, the parallels and, and everything in terms of uh, the development of the country, uh, the use of capital, uh, financial community, stock exchanges, everything is, is similar. Mexico is uh is developing and uh i think it's important that uh that we help mexico develop uh uh we got to figure out what's the right way to do that uh but uh it, it's uh, it's not to our advantage to have a um, much less affluent neighbor on our border because we're mm-hmm. always going to uh it's always going to be uh uh, the brighter side of the street that somebody's going to be looking at. So the more affluent Mexico is, the less problems we'll have with drugs, with uh, uh, all, all of the issues associated with trade, uh, everything from what types of trucks we allow in the country to uh, deliver Mexican goods uh, to, uh, to trucks that go out of the country that uh, deliver American goods. So. Uh, uh-huh. I think uh, it'll work. We'll work through that, uh, and it'll be a good deal for for everybody. And in, in terms of the, if the U.S. has economic growth, uh, we care. We uh, uh, you can't go back and find a period of time where Mexico and Canada were prospering, and the U.S. was in decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to go along. That. They're going to go along and uh, and and gain from it. Right. So Houston uh, took a hit from Hurricane Harvey. What's uh, what's their economy going to look like going forward for many years, Norbert? Well, Houston, uh, uh, if if the information I've got is correct, uh, Houston has uh, it, as a standalone economy would be uh, somewhere around the twenty fifth largest economy in the world so um, it's it's important Uh, I was in Houston uh, a few months ago and uh, uh, was in one of the downtown high-rise buildings with a client and in the energy in the financial business and uh, the client said look look over my shoulder uh, straight toward the Gulf uh, that's where uh, the biggest segment of the U.S. Uh, refining uh, and energy industry is. Uh, and if you look the other direction from that, uh, that's where the petrochemical industry is. And so it, there's a huge, um, um, huge um, amount of uh, wealth that's created. Uh, certainly, you know, this is kind of like the thousand-year flood 
that they're mm-hmm. going to have to come back from. Uh, I saw one number this morning said there may be are 50,000 houses that will be condemned. Um, I, I, I think those numbers will come down because I, I, I think uh, a lot of areas have withstood floods and have withstood uh, hurricanes uh, and so on, and uh, they find ways of, uh, of, of doing the cleanup and so on and restoring, and um, so a lot of that will be a hap- uh, uh, be at issue. The, the real opportunity uh, is, um, or, or the real challenge is going to be that many of those people did not have flood insurance. Um, right. Because they never imagined, but but as somebody again another piece I was reading said, well Houston was built on a swamp, uh, so uh, <laughs> it's a pretty pretty low area that um, um, should they have expected this? No, I don't think anybody anticipates a thousand year flood. No. Uh, uh, we don't even anticipate a hundred. We we anticipate. Uh, a hundred-year flood will uh, ha- will not happen in our lifespan, <laughs> so right. we don't see that. So, 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 uh, the weather forecasters can't get next you, week's weather right. Right, you know, from uh, the standpoint of uh, what did it do? The Houston survey, uh, ISM Houston survey, uh, has a good coverage, and it's one that I like and follow. And it comes out around the 10th of the month. So it really is the only post-Harvey uh, survey that w- that includes data and changes that immediately took place. And so Houston uh, in uh, July was at 51.8 and fell down to 46.5 after Harvey which the dates mm-hmm. for that were the 25th to the 29th of August. So it includes that. So I think this is going to be an excellent baseline to tell us what's going on in Houston and how much recovery there is for what's going on in Houston. If that number pops back up quickly, it means that most of that manufacturing is back online. I personally think a lot of it will be back very quickly because um, they engineer today for, uh, if if not a uh, 100,000-year flood, uh, they certainly engineer for uh, safety reasons and everything else. They put the controls and plants up high enough the the water can't get to them in case they have their own flood. Um, so uh-huh. I, I think I think we'll see uh, significant progress in Houston. Um, interestingly, their PMI uh, has eight components in it, uh, which includes prices and uh, 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 finished goods inventory, uh, and so it, it'll show a broad base of what's going on with within Houston and. Uh, directionally where we wind up going from that. Okay. Who puts that Houston survey out, by the way, Norbert? A gentleman named Ross Harbison, which is who is a member of ISM Houston, and Ross does a, a great job, and uh, I've been in touch with him and said, you know, uh, I've always considered that survey to be important. Now I consider it to be really important. 
uh, to, <laughs> to get a feel for what's going on and how well the manufacturing sector is coming back in that region. Uh, you know, uh, it's not only, Tim, the availability of the plant or uh, the systems uh, able to operate and so on. In many cases, it's can they get their employees back because their employees may be home trying to figure out what to do with a house that's been flooded. And right. so right. The, they're not all running back in the door. So uh, it, you generally there's there's a period of time you've got to allow the employees to uh, – uh, to do what they need to do to take care of their families, and and then you start work and, and so your maintenance crews go through and check out the plant completely in, in anticipation of the employees coming back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Norbert, we appreciate all of the insights you uh, take us on a trip around the world here for the purchasing managers index and what's happening in manufacturing. So, I just want to touch for one minute on. Uh, your other work in life, since uh, most of us are wearing more than one hat, and that's your work with uh, Strategus Research Partners. I know that you pulled together a survey, and I realize it just opened up, and I want to encourage the manufacturers listening to this program to get a hold of Norbert Orr and see if they can participate in that survey. You get two very interesting reports for free that otherwise are probably uh, something you'd need to pay for, and uh, you'd might think twice about actually doing that. Not that they're bad reports, they're excellent reports, but uh, good information costs good money. So, Norbert, how do people get a hold of you and participate in that the, that uh, survey so they can get this report information? Uh, well, the easy way to get in touch with me is at uh, uh, N-O-R-E at strategus, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S, RP for Strategus Research Partners dot com. Uh, you can also just search on Strategus Research Partners, and it'll give you an idea of the macroeconomic research that we do. And uh, the survey Tim's referring to is the earliest survey available on what's happening in manufacturing. And we always need uh, good manufacturing firms to participate. Uh, the people that do participate would tell you that they believe they get more out of it than they have to put into it. We ask two questions, what's going on with new orders and what's going on with supplier deliveries. Those are the uh, leading indicators with regard to manufacturing. And uh, so we're we're always delighted to add people to the the panel. And, uh, again, N-O-R-E at strategusrp.com. Norbert, thanks for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Glad to have you here. As always, my pleasure. Thanks. Okay, great. Again, it sounds like everything is just cooking uh, in in terms of uh, the U.S. and the globe, in terms of uh, the economics of uh, all the continents. So that's uh, that's a good, that's excellent news. Good news. Uh, as far as uh, our next week's show. We have Paul Oster, CEO of Better Qualified. They're a credit monitoring agency, also known as the nation's credit repairman. Very cute. Uh, to discuss the uh, and achieve a good business credit rating, how to do that, what some of the biggest mistakes that manufacturers and businesses do to get a bad rating, and how to fix it in a hurry. So looking forward to uh, that show, and it's certainly something worthwhile for all 
uh, businesses, not only manufacturing, to make sure you have a good credit rating and pay your bills on time and do whatever you need to do to make sure that happens. So that said, Tim. Thanks, Lou. Yes, uh, we had some insight into that show, and you'll have a a great time listening to it. Terrific information, particularly for small businesses, by the way. This isn't just a show for the, the big corporate guys. This is a show for everyone in manufacturing, from the C-suite down to the shop floor. All of our shows are at mfgtalkradio.com. We also have a news stories that come out every day. There's a complete library of news stories there. So this becomes a lot of reference material for those of you in manufacturing. By the way, you can search it on any term you'd like. And if there's a show on that or contains that subject, it will come up in your search results. So visit mfgtalkradio.com. Tim, Tim, I'd like to just just interrupt for a moment. I I just wanted to point out to everyone uh, that uh, November uh, 3rd is going to be four years that we are Uh, You and I are doing this uh, gig, and uh, I wanted to mention that we have now passed, in the last two years, 500,000 downloads of people listening to our show. And that's a startling number to me, and I'm sure to you as well, Tim. Uh, and uh, we're still ha- we're having a lot of fun with it, and we get a lot of positive comments, and uh, we feel as though that we're really bringing great information to those who don't necessarily have good uh, capabilities to find uh, the type of information that manufacturers really need to have. So I just wanted to butt in and uh, give ourselves a plug. <laughs> Yeah, that's important information because we have several hundred shows stored at mfgtalkradio.com. And be sure to tune in next week, particularly with that show for Paul Oster. Great information, and we will be back with you then. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.